1: Today on CityCast Madison. Whatever the weather, WKOW Senior Chief Meteorologist Bob Lindmeyer has been covering it on the Madison airwaves for more than 40 years. This trusted local weatherman has seen firsthand how Wisconsin's climate is changing, and he's ringing the alarm bell. Lindmeyer says the science is clear. Climate change is real, weather is becoming increasingly extreme, and we need to act now before it's too late. It's Tuesday, May 2nd. I'm Dylan Brogan, and here's what Madison's talking about. Bob, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. So you've been a familiar meteorologist in Madison for decades. Over that time, what have you observed in terms of the effects of climate change in Wisconsin?
2: There have been many uh, changes in our climate and the impact of climate change in Southern Wisconsin in the time that I've been on the air, which is now 43 years. In that time, we've seen an increase in extreme weather events, especially in terms of catastrophic rainfall events, catastrophic flooding has been the primary impact. And there's been many examples of that. In the last fifty years, especially
1: so, extreme weather, and that's uh, something you observed. Uh, climatology and meteorology are related, but th- they're different, right?
2: They are. Um, I forecast the short term as a meteorologist. My job is to primarily concentrate on the next seven days. That's where uh, my viewers are, are are interested in are interested in knowing about. But there's a whole other area of meteorology uh, where the climate scientists reside, and they are worried about the long term and trying to determine decades and centuries out into the future. And I've had an opportunity to keep track of of their research and what what are they saying? Uh, What are they thinking? And I'll just say right now, one of the things that I noticed is that they were becoming more and more alarmed over the years, and over the decades, actually, this goes back twenty years when climate scientists were saying, "We've got a problem." And I was becoming alarmed, but I just noticed with my viewers and the general public, there was not the same level of alarm. There was a disconnect going on, and that's where I saw an opportunity to use my position as a broadcast meteorologist, as a trusted scientist. And for many viewers, I'm the only scientist that uh, they have a a connection with. So I I use that position to help pass on peer-reviewed information from uh, climate scientists to them and hopefully raise their level of alarm too. Yeah.
1: Why the disconnect, you think?
2: That's a good question. And one that I was asking myself as well initially. So I did quite a bit of research into that, it turns out that it's primarily driven by the fossil fuel industry and the misinformation that they've been pumping out for a long, long time. And when you have uh, this misinformation out there, it's hard for the general public to really know what to believe. And if you're really not sure what's going on, usually you just don't do anything. And uh, that for many decades was the case. Not much was being done at all. Um, But that's been changing recently.
1: So like you said, you're a trusted source of information in in the Madison area and a scientist that comes into people's homes every day. The weather doesn't uh, get very political very often. Uh, When you decided to be more active in terms of spreading what you know about climate change to your audience... uh, did that seem like a bold decision to you
2: it did at the time i was very nervous and when i really started reaching out to the public and to my viewers on air was about 6 7 years ago now one of the concerns is that you really have to know the subject inside and out if you're going to talk about it and um i had to get educated thoroughly because i would get people Contacting me, especially by email, to dispute what I was saying, so I had to be able to effectively back up what I was saying, and that and that was a process over several years. So it was at first difficult for me to talk on air about uh, climate change, just getting used to doing it and getting used to pushback from viewers. But over time. Um, I became more effective with my communication and I began to understand better um, why I was getting this pushback and be able to put it in its proper perspective.
1: Like you said, there's misinformation out there and you're just trying to give people the, the established science. So were you able to persuade people? Was there an argument that made it less controversial in their minds for people who were pushing back?
2: With some, yes, I was able to. Present an argument to give them the sources of uh, what I was saying—that peer-reviewed research—and uh, they were able to uh, change their minds. But for some, there, no matter what I said, they weren't going to uh, believe what what I was trying to uh, tell them. And I found out there's there's some research from uh, from Yale that it's called the Six Americas, and it it shows what percentage of the population does not believe in climate change at all, to, on the other extreme, uh, are very alarmed by what's happening with our climate. There's 9% that are, we'll call, denialists, but they are very vocal 9%. So once I understood that, that I was getting all this pushback, but it was from a very small percentage of of the population. And uh, again, understanding that made it easier for me to just deal with it.
1: Yeah, what what were those nine percent saying, and is that gotten better over the years? Or there's all kinds of
2: misinformation, and so they would quote this misinformation as an argument to to what I was saying, but it was not peer reviewed. It's again, it looks very convincing. They have scientists that are saying it um, that are uh, financed, I think, and it's been proven really by the fossil fuel industry. So they would just present a counter argument. And once I answered that question, then there would be a yeah, but, and then they'd go on to all these other things that they could cite, but were misinformation. So I found after a while, it wasn't even worth dealing with some of these people that uh, just didn't want to hear what was really going on. They They were stuck in their echo chamber. And I just don't concentrate my efforts there. There's so much of the population that is willing to hear what I have to say. And that's where I concentrate what I'm trying to do.
1: So how do you educate people about climate change while, you know, still telling us what the weather is going to be like the next day and the next couple of days?
2: It's a challenge uh, on air because I typically have about three minutes of, of time uh, during my, my weathercasts. And for most situations, I need all three minutes. To give the forecast. But when you get into quieter stretches, you're able to allocate some time, you're able to allocate uh, anywhere from a short 15 second blurb to maybe a minute. And a lot of times I try to tie it into an extreme event that's happened that day, then I can make the connection to our changing climate and the impact that uh, the warming of our atmosphere has, has had on that particular extreme weather event. And there's um, an organization out there. It's a nonprofit called Climate Central. And what they do is generate all these graphics for for on-air meteorologists. And they're very uh, site-specific. I can tell you for Madison, all these different climate impacts and how much it's warmed here in Madison, and the graphics there ready to use, I just pull it up, I'm able to put it on air. That really helps me in my ability to uh, go on air and, and talk about it, because another issue that meteorologists have is this time or preparation, but I can trust them, I know it's peer-reviewed, and I can put it on the air, and it, it, it's ready to go. So that's one area that I've been doing my climate change education, is on air. But Most of my efforts actually are in doing presentations directly to the public on giving climate change talks and uh, visiting people and looking them in the eye and and talking to them and having a discourse and a, a conversation.
1: Yeah. And what seems to resonate with people when you're giving those presentations?
2: What resonates is, number one, they didn't realize how bad it was in terms of uh, we're, the direction we're going and the, and the peril that our planet faces. Um, they, most of the people that are in there, when I give a talk, are predisposed to believe that our climate is warming, it's because of we're burning fossil fuels, and it's bad for us. But I'm able to clarify that a little bit more, uh, go into it in more detail, and just show them how perilous it is. The other part of it that they take away from it is hope, because I really get into solutions that we have to our changing climate and that they're there. The solutions are there. It's just a matter of us having the political will to enact, enact those solutions.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: different parts of the country different parts of the world differently uh, what do you worry about most about Madison in the Madison area well history has
2: shown that it's it's extreme events that are most impactful here for other parts of the country it might be rising ocean levels um, but for us it's primarily catastrophic rainfall events that are becoming more and more common and not only more frequent but more extreme. So th- that is the number one impact that we've seen. We haven't really seen a heat wave of, of extreme measure for a while now. But I think it's just a matter of that happening. As we know, the Pacific Northwest had this out of, out of this world uh, heat wave last year, as did the Southwest Canada. There's no reason climatically that that can't happen here. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time. But up to now, our extreme events have been primarily in the form of extreme rainfall events leading to
1: catastrophic flooding. So you talked about solutions earlier and trying to give give some hope to people in what is certainly a dire situation. So how, how do you think Madison can handle these impacts moving forward? What can we do? How do we prepare?
2: Yeah, you know, I'm. I'm so proud of Madison and Dane County and the efforts that our governments have been making in making this transition over to renewable energy. Um, I know you've talked about it in some of your past podcasts, how Dane County is is really leading the country in terms of going over completely to all renewable energy to power the buildings and a a lot of their uh, vehicles as well. You you brought up how they have this plant at the landfill that converts methane gas to renewable natural gas, RNG. And I've talked to Joe Parisi about this quite a bit. You know, they had no support. They just decided this is something we need to do, and they Mm. did it. They helped develop the technology, and so they're doing it, and and that's just amazing. Uh, So there's a lot of encouraging work being done locally. Um, by our governments. However, we have to have more than local governments and and Dane County. We have to get the rest of Wisconsin on board, and not to mention much of the country um, has to get on board as well in recognizing the urgency of climate change and the urgency of making this transition over from fossil fuel use to renewables happen at a much faster rate than is happening right now.
1: Well, I'm asking you, Bob, how do we do that? How do we make this less political and and start getting with the program here? Yeah, yeah. You know, it for, for
2: number 1 what I tell people is there's there's things that you can do as an individual. One is what you eat. That animal-based foods are so much more resource in, intensive than plant-based foods. So the more you can eat as a vegetarian, the better off this world is going to be. In terms of uh just reducing your climate footprint is, is another thing that you can do. You can use less electricity. You can make sure your home, if you have a house, that you've invested in all the different technologies, such as a heat pump an insulation, all those things to make your house use as little electricity as possible. Also, you can just yourself have conversations with family and friends, let them know your concerns and and try to push them along. Like I've been doing, I've been trying to make people more alarmed, more concerned, and therefore be more willing to do something. You can do that as well as an individual, your family and friends who you vote for is a big thing. Um, while locally in Dane County, uh, it's most of the politicians in this, in this County that they bought into it, but so much of Wisconsin has not. So, Voting for, make sure you know their position in terms of, of climate change, all the way from school board level to federal level. Join up an environmental organization. So there's a lot of things that you can do as an individual that can help spur things along.
1: Well, I think that's important to, important to hear because it can be depressing talking about this stuff, can't it?
2: It can be. You know, when I give my talk, it's pretty de- depressing. Uh, but then I say, but wait, the solutions are there. And and that's the thing. As you well know, um, the renewables right now are significantly cheaper than fossil fuels. And that's why we see this transition happening now. We're seeing solar farms being built, wind farms being built. We're not seeing new coal plants being built, at least not here. So it's all there in place. But we have to get more of our population to embrace uh, this change. You know, people, I think, are naturally fearful of change. And this is a big change that we have to undergo. But if we don't, I, I, I finished my, uh, my slides presentation, my PowerPoint, by showing a picture of my grandkids. I have three grandkids. And I say, this is why I'm doing it, because it's up to us to keep this world livable for them. So we have to undergo these, these changes ourselves.
1: Well, are you hopeful humanity can make these changes to, to stave off the worst of climate change?
2: I am. I'm, I'm a natural optimist. I think it will happen, uh, especially as some of the the younger folks start to get into uh, being able to be in power, to be able to vote. I think they're uh, more apt to embrace what needs to be done than the older generation in general. Um There's also another area that is really hopeful for um, helping our our cause. And that's, there's all kinds of new technologies that are being developed that will, their purpose is to extract greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. And their goal is to extract it all to get us back to to pre-industrial levels. It's being done in many areas. Um, and that's exciting, the, the, these technologies that are um, being developed. None of them are scalable and doable except for one. And that's what Dane County is doing. And that's converting methane gas from landfills into renewable natural gas. But there's many other things that are being done, carbon capture, um, among other things that are being developed. But it. More research dollars have to go into that, but I'm optimistic that some of those technologies are going to bear fruit and they'll be able to help us in this goal of uh, keeping us uh, and the world uh, as close to 1.5 degrees C increase from pre-industrial as possible.
1: Bob Lindmeier, uh meteorologist from WKOW. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: My, my pleasure, Dylan. Uh, I was happy to talk to you.
1: That was WKOW Senior Chief Meteorologist Bob Lindmeier. And here's what else Madison's talking about. In environmental news, legislation to remove gray wolves from the endangered species list is moving forward in the U.S. House of Representatives. Wisconsin Congressman Tom Tiffany has co-sponsored a bill called, quote, Trust the Science Act. It's already been approved by the House Natural Resources Committee. Tiffany says he wants to return wolf management, quote, back to where it belongs, in states' hands. If wolves lose federal protection, that could open the door once again to an annual wolf hunt here in Wisconsin. Speaking of wildlife, there's been a black bear on the move through West Madison and Fitchburg. The Department of Natural Resources has advised local law enforcement to do the bare minimum. Leave the critter alone. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Dylan Brogan filling in for Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell someone you trust about us? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Look out for bears!